0: Welcome to the Plexus Podcast. Today, Brett Johnson and J.P. Novin are joined by our very special guest, Dr. Kevin Corsini, President of San Diego Christian College. Um, all right, welcome to the Plexus Podcast. Today, we're here with Dr. Kevin Corsini, the President of San Diego Christian College. Kevin, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Excellent, it's, it's great to, to be here with you today. Um, well, let's go ahead and jump right in. Um, let's talk a little bit about your background. Uh, why education, why faith-based education? Yeah, no, great question.
1: So uh, I, I, my background, depending on how far you wanna go back, I, I got a bachelor's in business and worked in business for a while. Uh, enjoyed that, went off to seminary, uh, got a master's in theology, Went was a pastor for a while, and then went off and got a, a doctorate and stepped into the world of education. So background has a few different areas. And really what I learned from being in the corporate world to being in full-time ministry is that more than anything else, uh, I, I just love being with, I love being in the classroom. I love to teach and I love seeing a, a person's journey guided through their life and uh, I fell in love with the classroom. I fell in love with higher ed, and after I got my PhD, I had an opportunity to, to stick around. That was at Liberty University, and uh, I've just fallen in love with, with that particular season of life uh, for a student, and ended up in administration, uh, got to work in the area of uh, online education, and uh, I was just very fortunate that, that things unfolded. And your question regarding faith-based or, uh, education, and you know, I I have a background of being a pastor, so that's a big part of my life, and part of it, you know, in higher ed is, you know, how we see ourselves and how we see the world, and and coming from a faith background, understanding what it is, what is it to be a person? I mean, what does it, what does it mean to be alive? Uh, what does it mean as we look at, a, at a, a future? You know, one of the key elements of that is, is, is a, as a person of faith is that I understand myself not only as a physical creature, a physical being, but also that there's some immaterial aspect to me as well, that, that when I die, something is going to persist. So, something goes beyond this life, uh, that there's an immaterial aspect to each one of us. And that shapes how I see not just the life to come, but, but this world as well. And college, you know, whether you're getting an undergraduate, a graduate, a doctorate, that shapes how you see just about any academic discipline. That if I understand myself as not just having a material person, but an immaterial person that persists beyond this life, that shapes how I understand psychology. That, that shapes how I understand business. That shapes how I understand education. And as I think about myself that way and think, well, I do believe that, you know, this isn't just a, a random set of atoms and molecules that fell into place, that there is a purpose. That there is meaning, that there is intent. And, you know, I believe that God has a plan for each of this, of us, that I'm not just drifting in a swirl or morass of no, 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 there is design, there's intent, and there's an intentional purpose designed. That shapes how I come to the classroom, that shapes how I pursue my education, that shapes how I understand myself. It creates meaning as I look at the world. And I see college as being a really strategic time to intercept a a person and say, let's think about these things in a way that you can't do in a church, in in a way that's not going to happen from the pulpit, you know, because you can really pursue kinesiology, right? I mean, you're not going to talk about kinesiology in a church, but on a college campus, when you think, hey, if there's an immaterial aspect to us, if there's a life to come, if there's meaning and purpose, how does that shape how I understand kinesiology and the future I might have? And for me, I just, I've fallen in love with it. I have a passion for our students. And I really, you know, for me, I just, I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of these students and trying to inspire them and encourage them to look ahead and say, listen, you have an opportunity to to legitimately make an impact, not just on the world, but on eternity. If you just grab hold of that truth. Uh, And for me, I just, I love it. I absolutely love it. That's sort of the path that I've been on to, to where I am today.
0: Well, that's great now do you spend a lot of time in the classroom nowadays you know not as much as i'd like you know for a long time i was able to hold on to at least
1: one class uh, as i worked through administration at a large university uh, i I held on to i said uh, every semester i want to teach at least one class uh, and i also wanted to do at least one international trip that's been a big part of my background as well as taking students uh, overseas uh, on different opportunities there and uh, when i stepped into the presidency uh, a few years ago Uh, getting into the classroom has been difficult. I do have an opportunity to speak to students pretty regularly, Uh, wanted to take students overseas uh, on some educational opportunities and then COVID hit. And so the last couple of years, you know, just uh, completely been changed in how we address those sort of things. But I do, I love getting up and and speaking in front of students. Typically, it's not a classroom setting. It's a a teaching opportunity when everybody's everybody's together.
0: Hmm. So two questions around prospective students and current students. You know, you talk about that purpose-driven, mission-driven focus of San Diego Christian and, and yourself personally, how do you make sure that you, that, that you can identify high school students, let's say, that are prepared and ready for college at San Diego Christian? And then the second part of that question is for students that are, that are in college, how do you make sure that they're prepared and ready for, for the job market, especially with jobs that may not even, even exist today that will in five or 10 years? Yeah,
1: two great questions, and in some ways uh, different today than I think we would have answered them two years ago, uh, because identifying a college uh, a high school student that's a good fit for college today is much more difficult because for the last you know year and a half or so they have not been in a physical classroom. They've dealt with significant mental health challenges, uh, just because of the global pandemic. Uh, For many schools, the SAT, the ACT have gotten tossed out. And so identifying that ideal candidate to be on a campus is a bit more difficult. It is a bit more of a challenge. One of the things that we've done is is turn to virtual tours, doing uh, some on campus, but a lot of virtual tours with our students. We try to do quite a bit of one-on-one time. Just to evaluate hey are we a good fit the last thing we want is to have a student show up on our campus and then be disappointed or feel like hey this isn't a good fit this isn't where i want to be And so for us you know, we're looking for a student who wants to understand you know what it means to be a person of faith to be a christian and to be at a christian campus and, and for us we describe ourselves not just as a christian college but a christ-centered college and if the, if the student wants that as desire is that hey then then we may be a really good fit uh so part of our screening is actually identifying are we a good for them uh, fit fit for our student and are they a good fit for us? Uh, it's not just academic, it's, it's what they want out of life. Uh, some of the best students we've had on our campus were C-level students. You know, a C-level student could have been someone that was just bored or they were uninspired or they didn't understand why they were there. You know, it, it's amazing when you get a hold of a student and you see them rise above where they've been before. And, and again, that's one of the things I love about the classroom is, is helping a student discover who they are, what their purpose in life is, to help them find meaning and then really encourage them to, to grasp a hold of more. And so GPA doesn't always do that for us. When we get one-on-one with a student, get some time with them, that, that helps a ton. Once that student gets on campus, you know, ensuring that they are equipped for life, uh, two things that we say on our campus with all our students, you know, we want them centered, centered on Christ and equipped for life. Now, I've seen too many students uh, who graduate with awesome GPAs, did fantastic in their programs, and then they go out and they move back home with mom and dad and they're really not sure what to do next. Uh, you know, For us, you know, I think as a, as a president, as someone uh, that heads a college, our responsibility is, in, is to ensure our students really are equipped for life, that they can go out and not only pursue a career but have a meaningful life and pursue an independent adult life. Uh, we want students who finish they can go out and get their first home and, and buy their first car and, and know how to change a tire, right? So you know, for us, it's, it's more than just the academic discipline. It's how do you do life? Uh, and so on our campus, that's one of the things we really lean into is providing real life skills uh, for these students that when they graduate, they can go out and live a productive, independent life. You know, it might be learning how to balance your checkbook, but it also can be learning just how to think critically and understand what are your personal values, what's important to you, and how do you navigate whether it's what the media throws at you or the challenges that happen around the globe or what happens in the office on a Monday morning. Uh, those interpersonal relationships in an office are every bit as important as learning to be an engineer, right? I and mean, you can be an outstanding engineer, but if you can't navigate the challenges of the office complex and, and the coworkers and working your way up the corporate ladder, then doesn't matter how good of an engineer you are. You need to understand relationships as well. So, really take a, a holistic approach uh, to our students you know, how they relate to others, how they think well, not only about their academic discipline, but the people that they're around. And then knowing how to do life. Uh, Again, we want students who go out and are independent that they launch, right? That they can get their own place and manage their own budget and have a a happy, successful marriage if that's, you know, in the cards for them. Uh, we again, we took a a holistic approach. And I think for our students to be successful, that helps going well beyond just the classroom and the academic discipline is looking at the whole
0: person. So you started as the president, uh, I guess, two, two years two ago. two years ago. Yeah, this month. Um, what's been the biggest surprise for you? COVID. <laughs> Maybe a global pandemic. What a great right. time. You know,
1: what a, what a great time to start out as a president. Uh, You know, I can't, uh, I started two years ago and the school that I came to San Diego Christian uh, college uh, had some issues with accreditation. I was aware of those coming in had some challenges financially knew about those coming in as well. And felt like, okay, there are steps that we can take to tackle these financial challenges, operate more like a business, uh, tackle our our accreditation issues as well. Uh, I felt like, Hey, these are, these are good challenges, but the biggest challenge has been a global pandemic. You know, we were just a matter of months in when it was like, Oh, the world is shutting down. We have to send students home. We have to figure out virtual, and and the, the challenge with that has just been every month it's different. It, it seems like every month to six weeks it's like, oh, now all the rules are changing, you know, and, and that now we have to do this, and, that, and and you know, as a leader, I think for the people that you lead, you're trying to shape expectations. You're, you're helping people navigate the challenges that are out in front of them. Maybe they haven't even come to yet, and so trying to shape expectations and bring cohesion and oneness to your organization when the ground is shifting underneath you on a week-to-week or a month-to-month basis is a huge challenge. And then as a president, you know, we're part of GSAC. That's a Golden State Athletic Conference. You know, we're also dealing with uh, nine other colleges, right? Colleges and universities. Where they're trying to navigate it as well. For us, you know, a huge percent a large percentage of our student body are athletes and so it's not just what we're doing on the ground but okay what are all these other schools and what's important to them and how do we navigate athletics and how these other schools are handling that and then you got faculty and staff who uh you know they're navigating their own personal lives with all of a sudden kids are at home but your kid, their kids aren't at school so you know all of that from an organizational perspective has been huge to to try to navigate. Uh, I think it's made us in some respects stronger. I think we're coming out, I'd like to, I was gonna say, I think we're coming out the other side of this stronger, but I don't know that we're coming out the other side of this. We're, we're still in this and it's clearly becoming a, a long haul. It has helped us, I'll say that. I, I think that we are a stronger organization for it. Um, I think we're better for it, uh, but it is without a doubt been the biggest challenge we've, we've faced as a college these last two years.
0: Well and when you look at when you look at higher education, um, it, it's it's competitive, you know and it's it's you know some would say it's a, it's a saturated market. Um, how has San Diego Christian been able to differentiate itself, compete, and and really thrive? Yeah, great great question. And
1: I mentioned just briefly earlier that, that we would distinguish ourselves from just being a Christian uh, Christian college to being a, a more of a Christ-centered college. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you go back in the history of the United States, there have been a lot of Christian colleges. You know, if you want to call Harvard was a Christian college at one point, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different colleges that started out as faith-based colleges. Uh, and as you look across the country today, there are a lot of colleges and universities that would consider themselves Christian colleges. different reasons right and so for us as we look at our peer institutions you know we're looking at specifically those that would see you know that that would perceive human you know personhood and the world as being created designed by god and that god has a purpose and a will for each person so christian colleges can be defined you know based on the name right it could be in the name it could have been related to the founders it could be that that's a a set of values and principles that's important to, to the college uh, for some schools, uh, it's about you know uh, the role of of Bible classes or religion classes or theology classes. There's a, there's a broad spectrum, is my point. For us, we're one of uh, a shrinking number of schools that still holds to the belief that the Bible, that the scriptures, are inspired and are inerrant and are authoritative. There are fewer and fewer schools that hold on to that, that just genuinely believe that the word of God is is authoritative for our lives and that that should uh, integrate and and pervade the classroom as well, regardless of what discipline is taught, that it, it should help us understand ethics. It should help us understand how we understand, I mentioned kinesiology or how we understand business or how we understand education. And so we consider ourselves a Christ-centered college, that Christ comes first, that Christ is center in all that we do, Uh, whether it's the classroom, whether it's athletics, whether it's student housing, whether it's our activities, whether it's how we pay our bills and and do business as a college, that, that Christ is the center for all that we do, and that when a student goes through our four years or five years, or three years, or they do a master's degree, stick around for six years. And when a student comes out of our program, they should be closer in their relationship to Christ than when they started. You know, there was a recent study uh, that was done that, that showed that seventy percent of high school seniors, who were church attenders, right, self-identified Christians who also went to church on a regular basis, seventy percent of those high school seniors had left the faith by the time they had finished college. Uh, that this is a season of life where a preponderance of, of, of Christian high school students leave the faith and for families where that's really important, a church and their faith is a really important thing. It's, it can be defeating, if not just absolutely discouraging to feel like I've poured my life for 17 years into, into my students poured my life into, into, into them believing a set of faith values that, that are important to our family. And then I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for them to go off to college and then they finish and then they walk away from their faith entirely. We're a school that's very different than that, being centered on Christ. That And if that's really important to you as an individual, as a 17-year-old or as a family, we're a school that we are committed to ensuring that when your student finishes, not only are they going to be educated well with excellence, not only are they going to be prepared to live an independent life, but they're going to be closer to Christ when they finish than when they started. We want that individual centered on Christ. And for us, that's a differentiator. You just don't find many colleges out there who make that such a high priority. They might say that they're a Christian college, but to say, no, we really believe that the Bible is not only inspired and there, but also authoritative. And everything we do, everything we do is gonna be about moving a student closer to Christ. Now, if we go back 20 years, 40 years, 60 years, there were a ton of different colleges and universities where that was very important. There just aren't that many anymore around that are left like that. And so for for families and for students where, hey, that's really important, we're a good we're a good spot for that we're one of a shrinking number there are fewer and fewer schools like that and that differentiates us and that also creates a a fork in the road there are some people that come on our campus and they're like no way this is not what i want and that's great hey find what's best for you that that's that's totally fine but there are a lot of families uh, who are like wow i didn't this is this is this is exactly what we're looking for we have students come on our campus every week they're like man this this is this is exactly what i wanted and for us, that's that's the differentiating factor. That, that that's what sets us apart. And we're in a, a shrinking uh, we're sh- a shrinking spot in the
0: market that, that offers that to our students. Yeah, and that's great to see. I mean, that's that's very true. You know, um, we've had conversations, and our belief is that hey, there are institute institutions out there that have their place and have their position. You know, there's there's research institutions. They're great at research. You know, there's HBCUs. There's a number of different types of institutions that play their role, you know, but institutions don't have to be everything for everybody, which it sounds like senior Krishna has really carved out a niche and a differentiator for students.
1: Yeah. And, you know, along those lines too, I think uh, it's easy to get identified. We also, I guess I want to, we wanna also want to be a good neighbor. We want to, we want to recognize, Hey, we're not an R1 institution. You know, we're, we're not trying to be everything that everyone else is, but we also want to be a good neighbor. We want to be a part of the community of higher ed uh, and, and ask that, Hey, respect where we're at. We respect where other people are uh, and, and just realize, Hey, we're a great fit for some students and we're going to provide an excellent education uh, but I work really hard to maintain good relationships uh, with other colleges, with other universities, other college presidents, and just recognize—you know—we're not trying to isolate. We're not trying to insulate and just create a bubble for ourselves. This is what's important to us, but we also really want to be a part of that community of higher ed uh, and work hard to build those bridges—not just across our community, but across the landscape and in, in higher ed as well.
0: Well, and let's talk a little bit about that. You know, you had mentioned that you know, and oftentimes when you hear competition. You know, that sometimes goes hand in hand with collaboration, you know. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned, you know, working with other institutions. Can you talk a little bit about working with the local community and businesses and um, and also other institutions? What what have you done as an institution to reach out and and work with with the community and other schools? Yeah, again,
1: thank you for the question, because, you know, for us, again, coming From a faith-based perspective, it is so important to be a part of your community, to be a good neighbor, to serve those around you. And so uh, one way for us is that we require every one of our students to do community service every single semester. That there are are so many hours in each semester that every single one of our students needs to, to complete community service. And so it could be going to a local school to do landscaping and cleanup. Uh, We have work days where our students go out and go to the local community. Uh, We'll go to different, sometimes different schools. We've worked with a a particular organization that that does uh, therapy for special need kids. Uh, And so we've worked uh, with them as well. Uh, There's a school downtown uh, that, uh, there's a school downtown specifically for the homeless. It's a really, really cool spot. So we send students to, to work at as well. Uh, we've been, we've really have made strides to be a, a part of our community and to instill in our students that, hey, this isn't just a requirement for the semester that you do your 20 hours of community service. This needs to be a part of your life. That when you graduate from college and you go out, you know, you have your first job, maybe you get married, you need to serve in your community. You need to be a good neighbor, right? Lean into that story of the Good Samaritan. Go out and care for other people that look different than you, that believe different things than you, that hold a different worldview. Serve, demonstrate, you know, love. One of the things, another thing that I personally emphasize, Jesus teaches in the Bible is that he says, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And Christians often aren't known for their love for one another right i mean the the stereotype is this judgmental finger pointing and and our campus is like no 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 no. we need to be known for our love when somebody comes on this campus it should be palpable it should be pungent that we uh, pungent that that we are people that not only care about each other and love each other but we love our community Uh, and so that's that's a a huge value for us is, is in our community whether it be san diego or more specifically the east county that our students are out that they are serving. Same thing for our faculty and staff. The expectation is they they, they come to campus with a servant's heart, uh, whether it's not just teaching but serving our students, serving one another. It's one of our big values on, on uh, and wanting our students to see our faculty and staff serve in the community as well. Uh, some of that's on campus, some of that's off campus. That's a huge part part of what we do. Uh, and then you know when you talk about the word competition, I think the, the first thing that comes to my mind is hey, God has a plan for each one of us. I mean, I really, I I really believe, I believe that God has a plan for each one of us. And so when I have a student come and they're thinking about what college to go to, in my mind, it's like, Hey, you know, it could be our school. It could be Biola, which is another faith-based school here in San Diego. It could be Point Loma right over on the beach. It could be Azusa. It could be Masters. It could be Cal Baptist. I don't know. It could be UC San Diego. But I believe that God has a plan for each person's life. And so if you're a strong Christian and God wants you to go to San Diego State or UC San Diego or Cal Baptist Baptist, whatever it is, go there, like follow his plans, do that. I, I don't want to get in the way of that. That I don't see that as competition. You know, I want each person to, to do what God has planned for them. And so I, I don't want to get in the way of that. Now, I'll be, I'm selfish. I want as many students as I can get because I think I'm going to do a better job pointing them to Christ and and educating them and preparing them for life better than anyone else. But I also don't want to get in the way. So I don't see those other schools as competition when I'm talking to another, talking to a student, man, I I want them to land exactly where God has planned for them. And I don't want to get in their way. And that's a way, that's a way where we try to love and and serve those families that come to our campus and consider us.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, student success, really the focus is on, is on the student and what is best for him or her. And that, um, Well said. Let's talk a little bit about online. You you have a a strong population of students that are online. Um, A couple of questions around that. So how do you ensure that um, San Diego Christian's message resonates to adult learners and also to online students? How is that message? How is that marketing recruitment retention process different than a a traditional high school, a traditional student coming out of high school? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So for our online students and I've worked in, in the area of online now for about 15 years, I've, I've got a lot of history in this space. And, and what you find with your online learners that, you know, typically these non-traditional students, they're already in a career. They've already started a family. Uh, they're already working 40, 50 hours a week. And they're trying to finish. Uh, typically, they're trying to finish their undergraduate degree. They've typically gone to a few schools already and they, they're just trying to get across the finish line or they're already in a career. And by getting that next degree, whether it's a you know trying to get a graduate degree, it helps them advance in, in, in their particular career. You know, for us, again, leaning in with love, that it's not just an academic pursuit, that we recognize the whole person, that when you have somebody who's working 50 hours a week and they got two kids at home and they're wrestling with COVID as well, we're not just an academic institution, that, that, that we need to see ourselves as, as caring for that person as an individual, showing grace, showing love, and helping them achieve God's plan for their life. That's just a really different way to approach, particularly the online classroom with a student than, hey, today we're going to study medieval history. And I don't care what you're dealing with, but this is what we're going to go through. That the focus isn't merely on the content. The the focus is on the student, what's going on in their world, and how can this class help advance them. Uh, And so we're very particular with every faculty member that that we allow to teach in our online environment. Uh, There's Lots and lots of people would love to teach online at any sc- school, but we're really particular about those people that we allow to teach for us. That uh, we, again, we want to see each student, not just as a, as a customer paying for a class. It's that, no, they're an individual in the middle of a crazy world themselves. We need to care for them, equip them, teach them to this class, but recognize them as a holistic person. And then champion them throughout the process, you know, whether that's an academic success coach or an advisor or the registrar or financial services, that that we're a cheerleading team, right? That we, we want to be behind them and champion them through the end of this process. And for us, the greatest day of celebration is when they walk across that stage, not because they finished our curriculum, but because they finished our program, but because they persevered and endured through a set of like circumstances while going to school and we can celebrate that whole family, everything that they went through to get them across the line. And that, for us, is a little bit different. I mean, you're not going to find that every school is going to take that approach to their, their online population. And it's important. We see them as, as, as people with lives that, that are dealing with stuff, and, and we want to see them succeed. And again, go back to achieve everything that God has planned for their life. That God has a plan and a purpose. We want to see that accomplished. It's just that we're playing a role in education for them to achieve that and for us that's a differentiator how we come to the online uh, the online world we also do um, uh, some live sessions we require office hours and i one of the things every single person we hire i interview at this uh, at this point anyone whether they're an adjunct an admin assistant i make sure that i get one-on-one time with every person that we hire we couldn't do that if we were a larger institution but we're at a size right now where we can do that and i just want to make sure from my perspective hey that each person that we hire regardless of in your financial services or at the front desk or teaching online, that you can care for a person. When a person is dealing with a kid who's in the hospital, that you're more concerned with that person's life and what's going on there than making sure they finish their math assignment for that week. And that requires a a particular perspective, a particular type of person that understands, hey, each, each person is dealing with a lot. And so can you be that type of a teacher in the classroom? Can you be that sort of a person? Do you have the bandwidth? Do you have the, the perception to be able to do that? And is that even what you want? Let's face it, a lot of faculty, they're like, I don't want to sign up for that. I don't want to do that. It's like, that's great. Man, there, there are 10 other schools up the street that would love for you to come come to work, do your thing, and leave. That's not what we're looking for. I'm looking for faculty who will care about each student individually, pursue. Love on them, care for them, and help them be equipped in that academic discipline. And that's sort of a needle in the haystack approach, um, but it serves us well for the for the purpose that we're here for.
2: Dr. Corsini, I we really appreciate your point of view and being unabashedly uh, Christian uh, and the Christian community and view that your school has created. I think that definitely resonates to our lesson, listeners that they're looking for an authentic community experience, and and that's what I think you're you're talking about, is like when you come to our school, you're going to see a community, if if I'm not mistaken.
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: And and I do want to point out that on Plexus, uh, you all have some very good programs. You have have one of the best legal professional schools in in California. You have a strong environmental studies program. Uh, You have a strong psychology program. If you could also talk about a little bit about your academic excellence and and, and what it takes to, as a younger, relatively younger institution, um, to to really remain competitive academically aside from the the community that you've created? Right,
1: yeah, Uh, thank you for that question because uh, it is very important for us to have excellence in academics. And that means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. If you talk about academic excellence among higher ed, Different people are going to point to different things of what is, you know, I mean, you referenced it earlier, you know, an R1 institution has academic, and excellent, academic, academic excellence. R1, man, look at the research they're doing, the grants they're being awarded, you know, the, the publications that are coming out, out of that institution. And that's one way to measure academic excellence. No doubt about it. Uh, I went to an R1 school when I was for my undergraduate. Uh, and, and so I got to experience that as well. Part of the challenge I faced personally as a student way back in the, in the early 90s at, at, a, at, at an R1 school is that when I went to particularly my, uh, my gen ed courses, they were taught by graduate assistants who often struggled to communicate. And if you'd asked me as a, as a as 19 or 20 year old, hey, you're getting excellence in, a, in academics because you're all these amazing facilities and look at the research being done, I would have said, man, I'm really struggling because I'm in a class of 300 students Mm-hmm. I've got a, a GA or a TA teaching me who they're going through their own stuff. And it's just something they're checking off in their week because they're working on a dissertation and going through their classes. And, uh, you know, I'm just 50 minutes on a Monday. And so I struggle with that. Being at a small school and we are a small school with few resources, academic excellence looks very different. Uh, for us, academic excellence is equipping and preparing our students to go out and excel in their profession and to accomplish all that God has planned for them. And so when we hire a faculty member, you know, I talked about that needle in the haystack. It's not just finding somebody who's going to care about our students and love on our students and develop that community. They need to be a practitioner in their field, Mm. uh, that we look for people who are actually out there doing it, that they have a track record Uh, a track record of excellence in in their area and that they're actually doing it. The the person that comes to mind right now is the chair of our business department who Mm -hmm. currently runs multiple businesses. There's small businesses, multiple small businesses, and she's outstanding. And she has a proven track record of knowing how to get a small business up and running, maintaining it, selling it. Uh, And that's the sort of person we want leading each of our courses. People who've been out there. Who have done it or are currently doing it? These are these are are practitioners in their field. Are they doing research? Probably not. Are they publishing left and right? Seriously doubtful. On their time off, are they go out? Are they going out and actually pursuing the field where they teach? Yeah. Yeah, they actually they are. And that's what I look for is people who are, have a proven track record of not just studying it. It's not just about their transcripts. It's, no, can you actually go out and, and do these things? And so, you know, for us, our, our, our theology, Bible theology department, there's a bunch of pastors. I mean, they all, they all teach on, on Sunday mornings. They got congregations of people who have problems. Business department, somebody who's, uh, you know, out there has multiple businesses. She's running psychology person who's actually practicing in the area uh, human behavior. Uh, I want people who are are out there doing it, and that our students are hearing real life examples each and every week, and then are also being networked in. So we have lots of guest speakers who come in from the community who speak in these different areas. If it's an educate in you know, an education, somebody who's who's coming in who's a principal from a local school. If it's in the area, you know, paralegal or a legal program, it's a lawyer coming in or a judge coming in. I want our students to hear about, hey, your first couple months out of out of college, this is what you're going to encounter that first year or two. This is what you're going to run into. This is what it's really like out there when you finish. And that's what I want our students really rubbing up against. And for me, that's academic excellence. Uh, You know, come out of the R1 institutions, love research. You know, I've written some significant seven, eight figure grants myself in the past. That's not what we're trying to be. It's not about the publications. It's about the real world experience and having faculty who can't just talk it, but who have lived it. And in my mind, that's academic excellence, that's what we look for in every single one of our faculty members on campus. And I think that equips our students better. I just I think they leave, you know, with a bit of grit, bit of determination. They know what they're getting into, and they're, they're less likely to be blindsided that first year or two when they they go out. And they're really well networked because. Small school bringing a bunch of different people in to speak as guest speakers. Uh, our students get jobs. Our, our students get get placed really well because hey, I was in a class with you know fifteen students. We had this guy speak. Afterwards, I got to know him, and now I'm working for his firm. Uh, it works great for
2: placement as well. So, so it sounds like if you if you're a student seeking a, a smaller classroom, more and working with practical scholars that, that are both on the field and also are teaching, you know, that's what you prepare for rather than being in an auditorium with two different, you know, those have their place, but especially for, Mm -hmm. uh, for lower division and some upper division courses, you want to be in smaller classroom for training. Uh, Now you've had some notable alums coming out of your school. I know Matt Cross, who is a who is in Texas House of Representative came from you, from from your from San Diego Christian, the former Miss California, Miss USA, Bridgette <laughs> came from there. So so a diverse number of uh, alums have come out of your uh, university. Uh, talk about those alums. What do they mean, and how has the education at San Diego Christian has prepared them for the next journey in their lives? Yeah.
1: You know, one of, that, that's gotta, that has to have been one of the most rewarding things about these last couple of years is, is hearing from our alumni. When they, they come by campus, uh, they want to talk, you know, I try to keep a very open door. So anytime alumni is on campus, they, they want to uh, come and share their story. I, I absolutely love that. It's been one of my favorite things. Um, so many of our alumni, and this is just personal experience, so many of their alumni met their spouse while they were on campus, and I'm, I'm sure that that's, that's fairly common. Uh, but when you meet people who've been married 10 years, 15 years, 20, 25 years that came out of our campus and they're still happily married with kids who now they're bringing back and I really want my kids here, that's really rewarding. When you see happy families who've been married for a long time and they attribute so much to their time on campus, that, that carries weight. you know. Yeah. We live in a, a we live in a broken world, you know. It's a hard world where divorce tears up people, kids who come out of broken families. I mean, there's just, it's hard. So when you see people who are in happy, you know, happy families that are intact in their happy marriages, you know, 15, 20 years, 25 years, that's a big deal. Uh, that, that, in my mind, that's a big deal, especially when they're pointing back saying the time that we had, I met my spouse on this was so impactful for us. You know, we talk about being equipped for life. And that's a big part of it. You know, if you can be married 25 years and still be happy, and it doesn't matter if you're an accountant, if you're a president, if you're a school bus driver, if you got a, you know, a happy, successful marriage, you're proud of your kids, that means, that means a lot. And so when I have families back on campus who just drop by to say, you know, they're, not, they're just looking for a college for their kids oftentimes. And you see that over and over. And they attribute so much of that to their time on campus. That's really meaningful. And then to meet people who are doing some amazing work that are unseen and unsung, Um, and and again they point back to their time on this campus. Uh, That's also really meaningful. There's a a particular uh, group uh, organization That trains uh we have an aviation program here right so we've had aviation for almost 50 years it's been a big part of it was founded you know started way back uh, or mid-70s to do missionary pilots well we have a a particular graduate who came out of out of this program decades ago and started flying water planes right the sort of the boat planes deep Mm -hmm. into the deep into Papua New Guinea to do medical work uh was essentially flying doctors out into the jungle to to do uh to healthcare, you know, to to provide medicines and uh, do emergency surgeries. And uh, he did that for several years. Um, didn't learn that entirely here, learned some of it you know, along the way. We don't do boat planes on our campus. Anyways, but since that time, he's come back, and now he's, he's got a school for people who graduate and have a, already have their flight degree and everything and then want to go do this. And so he trains people here locally in San Diego to go out and, and fly the boat planes deep into places in order to take doctors in and bring patients out. It, it's all about extending healthcare care into unreached areas. And no, this isn't going to make the front page news, right? This is going to be on CNN. But he's making a real impact to communities around the globe that are are out of reach, are are out of sight, and need this type of medical care. I mean, how many people do you know that they're going to fly doctors on a boat plane into the jungle to care for, you know, out of reach communities? Um, And I just, I think that's outstanding. And for him, it's like, you know what, this is what God called me to do. This is, I believe, what his plan is for my life. And and we have lots of those type of stories. People are doing amazing work that's kind of. Not in the headlines, right? They're not going to make the Wikipedia page, but they're doing amazing things because that's what they believe they were called to. And again, they point to their time on our campus as, you know, that's, that's really when I got a vision for what I might do. Uh, there was a, a time earlier in my life, I remember being presented by a question What would you do if you knew you could not fail? That's a big question, right? I mean, imagine sharing that with a, a 17, 18, 19. What would you do? What would you pursue with your life if you knew you could not fail? If you gave yourself just permission to dream really big and then ask it, if that's in alignment with what God wants, why not pursue that? Why not chase it with all vigor? And we've got graduates who go out and do some crazy stuff and accomplish it because they, you know, they really believe and see, hey, this is what God wants me to do. And, and it might not be in the headlines, you know, it might not make a, a, a a ton of publications or anything like that, but they're making a real difference. They're making a real impact in the world. And for me to be a part of an institution like this, uh, that's that's great. I love that. It's, it's just absolutely incredible.
2: And and I think in, in, in your description, you've just introduced a new performance outcome, which is forming happy and durable family from college. <laughs> I love it. I don't, I don't know if it's a goal, but <laughs> But it sure well, is
1: rewarding when you see, you know, you see it a couple times. It's like, well, that, that's great. But you see it over and over and over and over again. It's like, man, we're we're producing something here that's, then there's just some real goodness in that, that I'm just. But I'm, why, I'm why not,
2: why not have, <laughs> hey, this is our students went to work and this is the number <laughs> of marriages and this is how many durable marriages and happy families right. there are. That, that, that That's interesting, right? If, if you might meet your. we have a track record in successful marriages i think that's that's interesting you know um and i will say now along those lines i will say we do give a
1: significant effort to preparing students for marriage uh you know Mm -hmm. so you know we lack about laugh and and, 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 yeah it's not part of our goal but we do we spend significant amount of time preparing our students uh for marriage uh you know not doing marriage counseling but, but we do a lot of education seminars. We have people on campus to talk about yeah. the foundations for uh, healthy, successful marriages. So we do actually give quite a bit of attention to that. that I would definitely highlight that. I,
2: I think it's important. I mean, obviously, a, as you mentioned, if if you have a happy happy marriage or you know union, you will you'll, you'll do better in life because you have less mm-hmm. distraction. Um, you know, many parents and religious leaders of all faith. Um, mm-hmm wonder how to most effectively cultivate durable faith in the lives of young people in a rapidly shifting culture. So faith becomes under scrutiny, whether it's dealing with COVID, whether it's dealing with people's gender identity, sexual identity, cultural identity. And, and I've seen, we've seen this because Brad and I get to interview presidents for, for, from different schools with different faith. And this comes up over and over again. what what do you think is the role of faith-based university when it comes to dealing with these various issues that I'm sure you're dealing with on a daily basis? And and why San Diego Christian, right? I mean, mean, you you mentioned your alma mater, uh, you referred to that, and and there are hundreds of other faith-based institutions outside of the great community that, that you create, What is going to be the role of faith in this coming century, and what is going to be the role of faith-based institutions with all the challenges that faith is facing for many families? You you had
1: like eight really outstanding questions in there. That was was great. the 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 one in the middle. I was like, "That's a great question. That's a great topic. We should we should tackle that. That's amazing." Uh, Sorry. That, no. That, so let, let we'll rewind a little bit. Okay. So I think as uh, uh so one of the things that you referenced was you know how do we navigate our, our faith in a rapidly changing world?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you know whether it's gender identity, whether it's COVID, whether you know we could come up with a list right. of twenty things fairly quickly, right? I, I think first thing as a Christian, as a person of faith, we always need to come with an attitude uh, uh, of a teachable heart that we always can learn more, that I, I think that we are in danger when we become entrenched and we don't have a heart that, hey, I can, I can learn more here. Uh, so I think that's really important to teach our students, to say, hey, always ha- maintain a teachable heart that you can always learn more. Uh, secondly, is that we, always come to a, we should always come to a situation or another individual or, or whatever with, with an attitude of love. Right, that it should always proceed from love that it shouldn't be some combative issue and then third when we look at the authority the inerrancy the authority the inspiration of the scriptures of what we consider are the you know the hebrew and the and the Greek text right the scriptures the bible We need to understand as well as we can the context in which that was taught and the message that was intended for the original recipients, right? So we need to kind of, let's not do eisegesis where we're applying some, you know, 2,000-year-old principles to, hey, what's going on right now? It's like, no, what were the timeless principles in that day and time that we can then understand and apply to our lives right now? And I think oftentimes the Bible is, is weaponized in ways it was never intended to, to say things it never was trying to say. And so I think for, for our students, helping them understand the Bible as, as well as they can, right, in the context that was written for the population and understanding there's eternal principles that are still applicable today. And then fourth, and I'll stop with this one, is that we should never be afraid to question what the Bible teaches. Right. Never, never, never be afraid to question the world because as an authoritative inspired document, we should be able to ask questions and know, Hey, it's going to come back with an adequate answer, but let's not turn a blind eye. Let's, let's not try to hide. No, let's be, let's be willing to say, Hey, I, I've got some real questions. This is just tough. I, I, I want I want to find answers. And you find during the life of Christ recording the scriptures, lots of people coming with lots of tough questions. And he didn't ever say, Hey, you can't ask that. Don't do that. You know, is very open to hard and tough questions. I think the scripture should be open to really hard and tough questions as well. And teaching our students to be open to that. To so be open to asking tough questions about yourself, about your faith and about the about the Bible and then be willing to dive in and find the truth, find the truth that's taught there. And then at the end of the day when you come to conclusions and personal convictions of well, I really think this is what the Bible teaches and I think this is what it was saying in its original context, I think for those that audience and I think that's an eternal truth that's still true today, be willing to stand on those convictions, even if it means facing persecution or ridicule or hardships. And I think that is something that uh, is not often seen or felt in the West where a person says, these are my convictions and I'm at peace with this. And I'm gonna live in love with other people. I'm gonna love other people as well as I can. But this is what I believe because I believe this is what, what is taught and I'm gonna stand on my convictions. I'm gonna demonstrate love each and every day, but this is what I hold to be true. And I'm gonna stand on these convictions. And it's my belief, uh, you know, regardless of whether it's in the West or the East or where you live, I mean, look at what's going on in Afghanistan. You don't talk about people who are gonna be facing persecution because of their convictions. you have to be willing to stand on those convictions and, and face the onslaught and the consequences of that, because Again, from a faith-based perspective, there is a life yet to come that we believe that there is something that persists. And what I do in this life will resonate in the life to come. And so part of that is establishing those convictions based on, you know, an open mind and an open heart to be teachable, to go to the word of God, and then live with love of saying, This is this is really what I, I, I think it teaches, and then be prepared to live through those consequences, live through whatever persecution or ridicule or hardship or or criticisms that come, stand on those convictions because it will resonate in the life to come. As I believed in this, I stood up for this. It wasn't always easy. I loved people as well as I could, and I think that has—I uh, think that has a, an eternal consequence. I think there's something that goes with us in the life to come that you faced your hardships, you went through that, and there's goodness that comes from that. And I think that as we look at the at a rapidly changing world. Uh, we need people who will live based on their convictions and not just get blown to and fro by the the latest breeze that's blowing this way or that way. It's it's, no, I'm going to learn to sail and keep on this tack regardless of which way the wind is blowing. This is the direction I'm going to go because I believe this is the plan God has for me. And I can do that being a good neighbor, loving those around me, but holding true to my convictions regardless of which way the wind is blowing. I'm going to learn to sail and stay on this heading because I believe this is what's right for my life.
2: Dr. Corsini, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was excellent. Thank you so much for your time. We really, we really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much
1: for having me on today. This this was a lot lot of fun.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on Plexus, you can visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. That's P L E X uss.com forward slash solutions or you can email us at podcast at plexus.com